Hi everyone and welcome back to yet another episode of Ainsley Hooper Chats With and this week I have with me Sherry Bernhaber. Welcome. Oh, thanks for the invitation Ainsley. I've been reading your stuff for uh, at least a year and a half now. Same here on LinkedIn, absolutely same here. So Sherry, would you like to introduce yourself and tell everybody about yourself and what you do etc? Sure. So I am a senior staff, which is considered a director level uh, position, um, accessibility architect at uh, a software company called VMware, uh, which is quite a large software company, uh, surprisingly, because a lot of people haven't heard of us. So we're a cloud services company. Uh, we're, currently a, we're currently a subsidiary of Dell. Uh, so about 34,000 employees, plus or minus. And I started the accessibility program here at um, VMware about uh, two and a half years ago. Um, and in terms of my background, uh, I started off with a degree in computer science. And then I went to law school thinking that I was going to do intellectual property. And that would be, you know, a, a great thing to, to be doing. And my third year of law school, we discovered that my uh, middle daughter was losing her hearing. And so I ended up going into advocacy for the deaf instead for quite a while, and then uh, ended up going into digital accessibility after that. So I've been working exclusively in, in disability related uh, areas for about 17 years now. Right. VMware, because for some reason I thought VMware was all about like viruses and stuff. VM is for virtual machines. Right. It's it's all about doing stuff on the cloud. Right. Okay. I'm just, I'm trying to to figure out there's a brand or there's a name that I'm thinking of from years ago that sounds similar to that, that made me think for some reason it was antivirus kind of software. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So obviously you're in America um, and yeah, everyone, we're experiencing a pandemic at the moment. So this, this year, my, my podcast is just about disability and, and obviously the pandemic. So what's been your experience? So when did it all start for you guys over in America? So my last day in the office before the pandemic really came down like a ton of bricks was March 2nd of twenty whatever year that was, I guess, uh, 2020. Um, And then I didn't come back into the office until about two weeks ago. Um, We had quite a struggle in California uh, regarding getting people with autoimmune conditions prioritized uh, for vaccinations. That was a a significant headache for us. Uh, the, The Centers for Disease Control came out with a list of, you know, quote unquote, approved uh, disabilities to get bumped up the, uh, the ladder. And they didn't call out, for example, type one diabetes, even though, uh, the, the death rate for people who had juvenile, the juvenile form of diabetes, I'm not sure, uh, which term you use to call it in Australia. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, it's, you know, six times higher than the general population. Um, and, and we are considered immune compromised. And then they did other silly things like they left, they left cystic fibrosis off the list. I mean, mm-hmm. who needs a COVID vaccine more than somebody born with cystic fibrosis, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, that, that was aggravating. But then as the um, vaccine became more available, then, then they loosened up the requirements. So I was actually vaccinated on the first day uh, that my group, which was called Group 1C, uh, was opened. Um, right. And uh, still wearing a mask. 
uh, when I'm, you know, out in stores and things like that, even though technically it's not required. Um, you know, people where I live, which is Silicon Valley, are taking it quite seriously. Mm-hmm. You know, we have other states that that couldn't care less where the, the rates are just astronomical and people are still ending up in the hospital and dying and, you know, emergency rooms are packed with COVID patients and then they can't take care of other emergencies. You know, we've been reading about that as well. So it's, it's better in some areas of the U S than others. Right. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So like, cause in Australia, so um, I think it really hit Australia. We started to hear about it in like February or I think probably December 2019, we started to hear about it. Like, yeah. um, and then it, we had, there was a couple of cases in Australia sort of, you know, after January. Um, but then it really, everything sort of, yeah, we, it all went into um, lockdown around the 20th of March, um, 2020. Uh, so, and yeah, so for, for us, like, so yeah, 2020 March lockdown, and yes, we've just come out of our fifth lockdown. Um, like the, the fifth one just finished yesterday. Um, that's in in my state anyway. And yeah, the our um, New South Wales is another state, sort of just above where I live. And that's it's really bad there at the moment. So they're probably going to be in lockdown at least until into September. So yeah, so it's been. We certainly haven't experienced this as bad as it's been in in America. Like I've seen um, seen the headlines and the death rate, so it's certainly not nothing like America. But yeah, it's um, America honestly feels quite self inflicted, to be honest with you. I mean, yeah, there is vaccine. People are choosing not to do it for whatever mm-hmm. reason. Mm-hmm. So. Um, uh, you know, people in California are more than willing to wear masks. And even though we've had our lockdowns and our waves and our spikes and what have you, it's been much better largely in California than than anywhere else. And our vaccination rate in the Bay Area is up over 70 percent now, I think, where mm-hmm. um, some some ca- counties in other states uh, are below 40. Right. Yeah. 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 So when the um, so. When it first, when first things first happened, did, was did the government um, deal with disability in an effective manner? Do you think or no? Not at, in the least. So no. some of the things that we've seen, even coming from the CDC and the World Health Organization, is materials that they've deployed online. Mm-hmm. You know, web pages um, and PDF files largely have been completely inaccessible. So people who are keyboard only users or people who are screen reader users haven't been able uh, to access them. We've had situations where people who are deaf had to sue to get uh, briefings captioned and American Sign Language interpreters provided because that wasn't happening automatically. Uh, Again, people who are blind, you know, can't drive, right? can't go in public transportation because that all got shut down or the spacing was you'd have, you know, an entire bus with only six people on it to keep the social distancing. Um, you know, they can't take Uber or Lyft or any ride sharing service. They're not supposed to interact with people outside their household. How do they get groceries? Well, guess what? We're all ordering groceries online, but if the website 
isn't accessible to people with disabilities, and a lot of them weren't, um, then they, then they can't even put in a grocery order uh, mm -hmm. to get food delivered to their house. Uh, there's been issues with congregate care that were not well taken mm -hmm. care of. People who are living in assisted living situations and nursing homes, the death rates there were astronomical. Um, and there was one more thing I was going to complain about, but I forgot what it was. It'll probably pop into my head later. Um, mm. But just in general, uh, you, know, this, you know, people with disabilities are more likely to be in um, lower education um, employment settings. And so mm -hmm. they were the first people to let go and the last people to be brought back on. So the unemployment has been been a significant issue for people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. I think at one point in time early on in the pandemic, 40% of people with disabilities had either lost their jobs or were in fear of losing their jobs. So the, the, um, the furlough rate uh, is, was much higher for people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. And then of course, you know, in the US, our uh, employment, our healthcare is tied to our employment. Yes. So you get laid off, you lose your health insurance, right? Mm -hmm. at, at the very minimum, it gets disrupted. If you live one in the in one of the good states, you can you can pick it up through the Obamacare exchanges. But if you don't live in one of the states that has good support for that, you actually end up going without care or having to pay cash for your care. Um, and you know, my my bill last month. Uh, uh, for my for for three months of supplies for my insulin pump was four thousand dollars US. Wow, wow. If I didn't if I didn't if I didn't have insurance, I wouldn't be able to afford that. That's just I mean I, I've heard for years and years about that the American healthcare system, and I mean to Australians it, and I don't don't know I mean obviously to you it it's messed up. Um, it's just something that doesn't actually, I can't grasp what, why it's so messed up because uh, like say in Australia, I don't know if you know much about our healthcare system. Well, I know it's very similar to Canada, which is where my family is from originally. Yeah. But in the US, 25% of bankruptcies are tied to uh, an unexpected medical condition, usually cancer. Wow. But not, but not always cancer. Was there ever a point where it was... Um, a different model or has it always been that model? It's always been that way. So this whole entire ridiculous system came from uh, World War II. They put a ban on raises in the US that they didn't, that employees couldn't get uh, raises uh, during the war. And so employers tried to get around that by offering better benefits. And one of the benefits that they started to offer employees instead of raises was health insurance. And then it just kind of spiraled uh, from that. So we're, you know, at the at the tail end of, of an 80 year phenomenon that I honestly wish had never happened, but it is what it is. Yeah, yep. So I'm assuming, like, I mean, I don't know, but I'm assuming a lot of people with disabilities in America don't have healthcare then. Well, what happens is people with disabilities get trapped in a poverty cycle. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you have a bare minimum number of assets and don't have a job, then you can qualify for state medical care, uh, right. which, is called, which is called Medicaid. Or if I you're think. permanently disabled and unable to work because of that disability, as opposed to just being disabled and not working, mm -hmm. uh, being a disconnected state, uh, then... Uh, you, if you jump through enough hoops, eventually you might qualify uh, for the care that they provide seniors uh, in the U.S., people okay. over 65. Right. 
Okay. But then you're trapped, right? To keep your insurance, you 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 have you can't get a job, right? Because you know health insurance isn't mandatory with jobs. You know it pulls you out of the poverty cycle, but then it also eliminates your ability uh, to to get health insurance. So you think to yourself, okay, well, how do I try a job to see if my situation is improved enough where I can work and not have to wait three years to get back into the you know, considered disabled by the government category. And the answer is it's really difficult. Wow. And that's, that's like, that's a fine example of structural violence. It's just, that's ridiculous. And I mean, with July being the like disability pride month, um, I've I've been reading a lot about the ADA um, Mm -hmm. and and like, I mean, I I can see there's a, I know there's a hell of a long way to go, but there seems to be like, yeah, anybody, Anybody under the age of 35 does not remember life before the ADA in the U.S. because the ADA mm-hmm. just turned 31, right? Mm-hmm. I lived almost half my life before the ADA was passed. So things were substantially worse before the ADA. But just because we have the ADA doesn't mean we are where we should be. Mm-hmm. We're nowhere near where we should we should be. And a lot of it is just inconsistencies between, you know, the good states and the bad states. Um, but we've got 50 of them, uh, unlike Australia, which you, I don't know, you have a handful, like, maybe like 10, seven, I think seven. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I, I knew it was a, it was a much smaller number. Yeah. Um, you know, we have one state, for example, that has an 80% dropout rate, uh, for children with disabilities in, in K-12, which means the kids never finish school. So they don't go to college. So, you know, you, you just get this perpetuation of people of people with disabilities ending up in you know low income jobs that they're very much at risk of losing or either to a pandemic or to automation i mean there's a lot of reasons why people uh in those types of jobs could could lose their jobs you know grocery checkers and self-checkout for example it's not always about the pandemic mm-hmm. but um you know that to me is really where the starting point of the systemic ableism is, is in the school systems and the, and the lack of funding for special education for children with disabilities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I'm thinking uh, in the headlines, I'm always shocked at, and I guess I'm shocked because of the, how it is in Australia, Uh, like all the headlines about, um, children uh, autistic children um being shot by police or something like that because of i guess i guess it's like a training on how to deal with 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 children with, with um all those different behavioral issues um like i remember there was um there was a um a news article and it was about an autistic boy and he had a a carer and I think it was a black carer and the carer was on the ground trying to settle the boy down and the police shot him. Like that's yes. just. I, I remember that story, um, unfortunately. Uh, yeah. When you consider mental health issues being mm-hmm. disabling, mm-hmm. Uh, you look at the rates and the number one group of people impacted by police violence is people with disabilities. Mm. We are the largest minority group impacted. Um, I, I saw a statistic once uh, that said something like 40% of the people killed by police have a disability. Either they're having a mental health breakdown 
they're having, you know, autistic uh, related uh, behavioral situations. Uh, there's, you know, uh, we've heard of deaf people being shot because they don't respond to the police and the police don't realize that they're deaf. And so they just, the police assume that they're non-cooperative. Uh, that's happened on numerous occasions. And then, of course, it's intersectional. So if you're a person of color, if, you know, if you have any other identity that raises your risk for, for police adverse action, then, you know, you get the multiplication. Mm. Uh, you, it, you, the, co the collective total of the risk weighs on you. Yeah, wow. I'm just, yeah. I, I was, because in the back of my mind, I was thinking, do you know Stella Young, the disability advocate? I do. Yeah. So Stella, I remember she was. She said years ago that, and I find I find this really interesting because, like, she was obviously just being a visitor, but she said that when she went to America, she felt like her disability disappeared, and it just to me, it's it doesn't make sense that she would say that when, if everything I read in the news and everything I hear is all about people disabilities is still not equal and 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 they're even i feel like it's even they're even we're even more well, people with disabilities are even more discriminated against in, in america than in, what we've got in australia well you know since i'm not australian i can't speak yeah. to, to what the situation is there i mm. mean part part of it is there's there's more safety in numbers you know, there's a lot of people with disabilities in the U.S. Right. Yeah. Um, and and we we are very litigious as a society. I'm not saying people with disabilities are litigious, but the U.S. society in general is litigious. Okay. So we have no problem uh, filing lawsuits or filing grievances or, you know, going to the press or other things to get our case heard uh, for better treatment. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's not a systemic approach that's kind of an individual approach even though it, it does happen quite frequently um my best friend when i was growing up and in, in and out of the hospital when i was a child was somebody from australia who had the same uh issue that uh stella had mm -hmm. and you know he zipped around in his power chair uh and that was uh before the ada was passed but california has always been uh uh, more accessible than than most. We don't get snow here, uh, which means it tends to attract people with disabilities because mm -hmm. you know having to deal with snow uh, when you've got a mobility issue is mm -hmm. is quite complicated. Yeah, I've only been to the snow once when I was in grade five, I think, and I, uh, that's it. Only time I've ever, I'll never go back. <laughs> never. It was like I, I came home with the, the worst cold, and yeah, I I, I could not even imagine. Uh, like I've had my brother has lived uh, he lived in Canada for a while and also just recently lived in New York for two years and yeah just the snow I could not imagine like even trying to uh, I've got a manual wheelchair trying to actually get that that I think I'd just be stuck inside the whole time really yeah, yeah that's yeah. probably the main reason why I haven't moved back to Canada is just because I I don't think even with the power chair I could face this the you know seven months of snow <laughs> which is what parts, which is what some parts of Canada ha have. I'm sure there are plenty of people with disabilities who do face it. Um, Sorry, I'm just gonna. I have a dog.
You'll have to excuse that dog. He likes to sit at the window and bark at everybody in the street. So he, he appears sometimes. <laughs> yeah, so in, in Australia, it's um, the, yeah, people with disabilities, it's 20% of the population here. So one in five, five people. That's, he's barking, is, is that affecting you at all? No. no. Good, good, okay. Just wanted to make sure. <laughs> okay, so yeah, 20% um, of people uh, have a disability in Australia, um, but the and we have the United uh, the Australian Human Rights Commission. So people disability discrimination is the highest, m the most complained about issue uh, to the Australian Human Rights Commission, and that's been the same for like the last three three or four years um, consecutively, and. It's but it's interesting. There's still so so much um, ableism that goes on, um, and I, I there's not yeah because as you said, like you know in the US, um, there's a lot of suing that goes on. Where in Australia that doesn't go on as much. So it's more about things being put into the headlines. Uh, look at this issue, but then you know it's very rarely that things get to that point of being sued. We're still not here. Yeah, I feel like if, if there was more of that, I think it wouldn't happen as much. I, I, like there'd be more, less discrimination. That's what I, that's how I feel anyway. You know, I, I would hope that that's the case, but mm. from what I'm seeing in terms of the litigation trends in the US, it really isn't. So right. we had 3,500 lawsuits last year over software, website inaccessibility alone. Mm. And this year, and that was a year that the courts were closed a quarter of the time because of COVID. This year, it looks like it's gonna be 4,200. Uh, you know, for, for whatever reason, people just aren't getting the message. Uh, mm. that it's considered disability discrimination if you don't make your website accessible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's been an interesting uh, thing, like, because I've been reading all of your articles on Medium and, and you know, on LinkedIn and all that kind of, and it's just, it's, it's interesting, like, because I've never had to, with my own disability, I've never had to worry about the whole accessibility, you know, the uh, website, that kind of thing. So it's been an interesting sort of learning experience, learning all the different things that need to be taken into account. And that's the interesting thing I find about disability is how, and uh, how each of us all have this, you know, different privileges because of our disability, uh, the things that the barriers that we don't have to, uh, to don't have to consider until we know about them, obviously. Mm -hmm. yeah, like, right. like the lack of a curb cut is not a barrier to my deaf daughter. Uh, but, mm -hmm. you know, as a wheelchair user, you know, the lack of a curb cut is quite problematic for me. Yeah. So you've got, you know, five or six, depending on how you look at it, different groups of people, each of whom who need something completely different mm -hmm. um, in order to to be able to participate equally in, in society. And I think that's one of the reasons why we struggle as a group you know, we, we are the largest minority in the world, right? Mm -hmm. There's there's no dispute about that. But the problem is we're looked at as five or six different segments. And then every segment has its own spectrum, 
right? Mm. Like I'm an ambulatory wheelchair user. I can walk very short distances with a cane, Mm. but anything over, you know, about 30 meters, um, I use my chair for. Um, So that means even my needs are different than your needs. Mm -hmm. And my needs are now different than my needs when I was younger, where, Mm. you know, I largely tried to use a cane to get around or sometimes, you know, crutches, depending on the situation. So uh, it's hard to take all of those different things and really successfully get it viewed as, as one big umbrella type of issue mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and it's like it's even interesting like that word ambulatory I'm I didn't like, and this may this may sound ridiculous but I didn't even know what that meant to, until maybe say two years ago someone said to ask me are you ambulatory and I've like I've got no idea like so I had to look it up because to me I'm thinking ambulatory ambulance you know that right yeah that's where my knowledge of it went so there's and there's this um i find that there's this uh ongoing uh expectation that people that non-disabled people assume that we as disabled people know everything about disability and everything about or everything about accessibility we only know it from our own own through our own lens until obviously we're made aware of it. So it's just, and it's huge. And then it's, I don't know um, about you, but uh, yeah. So when I find out about things, I I have this thing, I feel bad because I didn't know about it and I should like, I should know about it because I am a person with a disability. I, I don't know if you ever had that kind of guilt kind of before. You know, I think earlier on in my career, some things did surprise me just because I hadn't met somebody who had a particular perspective on something or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, who used assistive technology in a particular way. Um, I don't think I necessarily felt guilty about it. I just, mm-hmm. you know, tuck it away in my toolbox mm-hmm. uh, for, for when I need to use it later. So, uh, in fact, this is one of the reasons why uh, when I teach courses on how to do user research with people with disabilities, Mm -hmm. I always recommend uh, doing separate cohorts for congenital disabilities versus acquired disabilities, because even... Mm -hmm there's a totally different psychological mindset behind it. You know, when you have a, when you have a congenital disability, you don't know any better, right? Mm -hmm. People would say silly things to me when I was a kid, like, didn't I miss skiing or didn't I miss running marathons? And Mm -hmm. I'd be like, why? I've never been able to do it. It's not something I miss. Mm -hmm. Whereas I was at a diversity and inclusion conference once. And this woman literally standing right next to me, I could have reached out and touched her. Uh, She she introduced herself to the class and she was talking about why she was depressed that she had to stop training for running for a marathon because uh, she injured her knee. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, you're saying that standing next to a person with the wheelchair. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's the whole, it's the whole acquired versus congenital thing. She thought she had something and she lost it. It's a completely mm-hmm. different mindset mm-hmm. uh, than having something and having it for multiple decades and developing, you know, whatever compensatory skills you need to develop, you know, whatever coping mechanisms you need. I've mm-hmm. had more than 50 years to get used to that uh, by now. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's uh, something that that's, people even people with disabilities don't frequently think about the the two different 
perspectives on that. Yeah, absolutely. Like um, for me, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I, like I've always loved the question because I, so I'm a wheelchair user and I can't walk. So I've never been able to walk and I love, I love the question. So what's it like being in a wheelchair? Well, I don't have anything to compare it against. Like, so how can I even answer that question? You know, so. Exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, now I'd, I'd have to say now that I'm, sort of yeah working in this like in this space I'm more aware of, of I guess COVID's probably been the biggest thing um for me it's not so much about being in a wheelchair but being disabled um and yeah from COVID it's it's really shown the, the glaring the, the it's the gaps um because in, in Australia and um so I don't know. So when when COVID happened in Australia, and the government released their uh, disaster response plan, people with disabilities were not even included in that whatsoever. Like yeah, just, that was actually the thing I forgot to mention. So yeah. at the beginning of COVID, mm -hmm. there was actually litigation around. Uh, there was one state in the U.S. that said that they wanted to deprioritize uh, ventilators if they ran out for people with disabilities. Right. Mm -hmm. They wanna they wanted to prioritize uh, people who had higher quality of life. And I'm like, who the bleep are you to tell me what my quality of life is? You know, yeah. that's. But you know, one one set of administrators in one yeah. state not a surprising state unfortunately thought that that right. was okay yeah because and, and that's it, like it's interesting as well talk, the discussion about disability acquired as opposed to congenital um like i i've got i've got a, a friend who I, I had on my my first season of the podcast and they've got a spinal cord injury so they're a wheelchair user because of the spinal cord injury so, and that, ha that, that happened, uh, I think about seven years ago, something like that. And I remember thinking, and now I've got a totally different mind shift, but I remember thinking to myself that having that ability, like having, like so being abled, uh, um, non-disabled, and then having an accident and then having that ability to walk taken away from you uh, and being in a wheelchair would be like the, the worst thing in the world. And, you know, so to me, it was really, really sad. But for this person, um, it's given them so uh, such a different insight into the world. So they've actually, they, and, and that, that talk about that they don't want, want to be cured um, you know, they said even if they, they there was a, um, something that could fix their spine, that they wouldn't want that. And so, for me, having that coming from the congenital aspect, I find I found that really very hard to hear in the first instance. But it's such an interesting take on things, and but then that's interesting as well because it goes back to the, um, the ableist ideas. That's where you know, obviously, I grew up thinking that kind of thing because of people around me. And so that's where my brain was. And then realizing those ableist thoughts are going through your mind, it's really interesting and sort of confronting. Yeah, we, 
I, I said this in one of my articles and, you know, kind of got some surprise and some pushback from people where I said people with disabilities are 100% capable of being ableist, right? Mm, we, have yeah. a, we have a governor in Texas who stripped away certain um, social worker protections for people with disabilities. Mm. Uh, you know, we have somebody else in Congress in a wheelchair who's constantly trying to cut funding. Uh, to various different su so social support mechanisms. And I feel like they're both, and I'm sorry, they're both men. Uh, mm -hmm. They're coming uh, at it from the perspective of, oh, well, I managed to get here despite that. So you should be able to. Um, mm -hmm. in instead of, you know, really understanding that it's all intersectional. It all depends on your, your circumstances with your family, what age you are, when it happens, mm -hmm. you know, it, it almost depends somewhat on how hard did, you know, how much did they put you through to try to fix your disability? Mm -hmm. I mean, I had 13 surgeries when mm -hmm. I was a kid, you know, trying to fix my disability. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I've got a little bit of, of medical, uh, you know, trauma from that. And that's, that's not something I want to go and revisit. Mm -hmm. So I, I just think that there's people with a, with a, a very narrow perspective on things that don't necessarily want to look at how the same thing has impacted other individuals. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's, that's too bad for everybody. Mm, yeah. I think the biggest, um, mind shift for me because like I yeah I was born in the 70s you know late 70s grew up in the 80s so the whole medical model of disability stuff um yeah so the biggest shift for me was that you know growing up I didn't do I you know if I couldn't do stuff I didn't I didn't do it um that was just like you know you you, you accept the fact that you couldn't do it and you just do do whatever you can Whereas now it's, and I can be in my 40s now, and so there's, the, sh the shift is now thinking about um, it's actually, well, you know, if the world, world was accessible, I could do those things. So that's what needs to change, not that I need to fit into whatever I can do. Yeah, so I was in the first group of children uh, that were disabled um, but because they weren't intellectual disabilities, they actually did what, what they called mainstreaming. So I started a mainstreaming program in California in 1973. Mm -hmm. um, and that, um, you know, I probably did get included in more things, probably more effort was required, you know, was, was put into to making things uh, equal for me. Mm -hmm. uh, but still, you know, there was no ramp uh, to the uh, stage for graduation, right? The football player, you know, when I was in middle school had to, had to carry me up so that I could get my diploma mm -hmm. and the, you know, the graduation trip to Yosemite, that was before the ADA. So everybody went, but me. Uh, so I, I definitely feel your pain on that one. I'm, I'm still mm -hmm. mad about the Yosemite trip 30 years or 40 years mm -hmm. later. Uh, mm -hmm. but, but Yosemite is accessible now. So, right. uh, uh, you know, a lot of the hiking trails and the hotel rooms and everything uh, have, have been made. So it's much easier for people with disabilities to visit. And so I kind of try to, to focus on those things and go, okay, you know, things weren't as great when you were a kid, you know, but, but they're getting better slowly. It's just never as fast as you want it to be. Yeah, exactly. And it's, and it's certainly not as fast as you know,
as much as I want it to be accessible for me, I want it even more to be accessible for my daughter. Um, exactly. It's, it's, it's one thing to discriminate against me. I've got tough skin, you know, I'll deal with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you see your child get discriminated against that, that's really kind of a, a stake to the heart. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I just, it's just interesting, like thinking about, I'm just like in my head, just thinking about all, all the things that, you know, just that I, I just did accept that no, I can't do that because, well, it's, and back then it wasn't even like, didn't even think about accessibility. It like, it was just, you know, this is what things are like, deal with it. You know, and so it's just, so when do, you, when do you, so was it once the ADA came in that accessibility was started to be addressed or, or was it, did it start before then? So it started before then. So there's this great documentary out called Crip Camp. Oh, I love that, it. Yeah. So uh, Ed Roberts and, and Judy Human, I really attribute them to me having the opportunities that I had. I went to Cal uh, largely because Ed Roberts uh, helped force Cal to become accessible. It's one of the first colleges in the country that you know had curb cuts everywhere and that had um, an accessible accessible dormitory rooms. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, without without them, I definitely wouldn't be where I am today. Mm-hmm. When you say curb pads, are you talking about the the curbs that go flat onto the road? Yeah, so that you can get down and cross the street by yourself with a wheelchair. Right. It's so there's still some there's still some places in the U.S. that don't have those yet. Yeah. Because um, that's really interesting. You say that because um, even so, like I, I'm in, in a, a I say new suburb. It's been ten years, um, ten years now. Uh, but yeah, so the streets have been made, and it's interesting that I re- I rarely go out by myself. Well, I mean, I, I yeah, because uh, I'm not confident in my wheelchair, uh, and I've recently I broke my leg three months ago. Oh so that, yeah, that I, I remember I heard about that. Your, yeah, your so femur, right, that's a tough one. Yeah, so uh, top of the tibia and bottom of the femur, so two breaks, and still not here three months on. So, you know, my confidence has really gone down. But, you know, it, yeah. it, it, I'll just say one thing and then I'll let oh. you get back to your story. No, no, it's okay. So, so, people don't realize that having a disability makes you prone to getting more disabilities. Mm. Okay. So, mm. prednisone, uh, which is a steroid that I've taken quite frequently, plus long times in the wheelchair you get osteoporosis, right? Yeah. I've, had oste- I've had osteoporosis since my 30s. I've had bone the bones of an 80-year-old woman since I was 39. Right. Um, and so, uh, pe- you know, people just don't uh, think about those things. Uh, no. That it's, it's much, much easier for, our, for your bones to break when you've spent a long time in a wheelchair. And that's it. Like with my, um, so I, I mean, I, I, I think I broke my first bone when I was six. Um, I funnily enough, I was watching Jane Fonda on, on, on the TV and thought, okay, she does splits. I'm going to try and do the same thing. And then I obviously put my legs in that, that, those positions and yeah, broke it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like, um, I then broke, uh, another bone in, I'm trying to think of it when I was 35. Um, and, and with that leg break, that's when I found out I had osteoporosis. 
because uh, the, the bone surgeon just said to me, oh, don't worry, you'll probably break it again. You've got osteo, you've got congenital osteoporosis. And I'm like, that's the, that's the first time I'd actually even heard of the, the, that I had it, didn't even know. And, he, and this is the thing I love about the medical community, the doctors, they assume you know everything about your disability. I thought, right. you know, and that you, so was shocked when I was shocked at, at that being um, told that um, but yeah so I find that just really fascinating is yeah that they and I've had other experiences where they've just expected you to know how to how to deal with something because you've got a disability but it's like it's a new thing that they're just like throwing at you it's just yeah it's so in the category of dumbest things a doctor has ever told me yeah uh about two years ago, I was seeing uh, uh, m- most of my problems are with my feet. I was born uh, with with club feet. Mm-hmm. And uh, she looked at my feet and she's like, well, we don't do that surgery anymore. Mm-hmm. It was a it was a student doctor um, who clearly hadn't been through the whole bedside manner training at that point. <laughs> and I looked at her and I'm like, I don't care that you don't do that surgery anymore. You know, I'm your patient this is the side effect of the surgery that I went through, deal with it, <laughs> you know, yeah, tell wow. me what I can do. So, uh, you know, my husband and I joke that if I had a nickel for every time I was told, oh, well, we don't see that very often, you know, I, I could retire a wealthy woman. <laughs> oh, wow. I, I, I just love the fact that you're so assertive about that, whereas I would just be like, oh, okay, and and yeah still I think it's the, the whole ingrained thing from my childhood just deal with it you know that, that I'm still doing that um like even so yeah with this with this current leg break it's still not healed um and well I hope they've got you on some good bisphosphonates by now then yeah so I'm still on um I've, I've had my prolier injection um I've got to go get a bone scan done for my bone density to see where it's at at the moment and then once I've had that done, then they're going to change me over to um, the daily injection ones. So, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Well, probably is one of the good ones. So you can't yeah. say that you don't get the best treatment uh, in a socialized medical system. You know, I hear that a lot. Oh, you know, mm-hmm. Australians slash English slash Canadians, whoever they 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 want to beat up on, you know, they they, they don't get the state of the art treatment. Probably a state of the art. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And it was interesting because like another thing was when I broke that bone when I was 35, the doctor said to like, you know, because he told me about the osteoporosis and then I said, okay, because they refused. Yeah, they didn't put a, do the surgery, put put a pin in it, et cetera, uh, because the bone is too thin. Okay, that's fine. Um, But yeah, they just let it go. So, okay. Uh, it, it healed eventually, but it healed wonky. Um, but he said, I said to him, how had we avoid it happening again? And his response was, it'll happen again. It's like, great. You know, that's a lovely you know, response. Okay. Then I, oh, sorry. Then I found a, a new GP uh, when I moved. Told the, and I was just going to my medical history with the GP, letting him know all, all the things and I mentioned the broken leg that had happened a few years ago. And he said to me, and I said what the response was, and he goes, that's wrong. He said, you, you can do something about the osteoporosis. So I was just like, 
wow and then so i went and had that prolia injection and then within six months my bone density went up 25 percent, and it was the biggest jump they'd ever seen it like seen so it was amazing that a gp who i don't know if you've got if you call them gps in america but they're just your like family doctor yep yeah yeah so the gp it was amazing that he made that he called that whereas the spoke the, the bone specialist wouldn't you know, that to me was such an interesting gap in, in, in a, an approach because I think, and I, I do think this about all specialists, I think that they're, they're stuck in a particular, they don't see the human, they don't, they don't, they don't see what the after effect is going to be once they leave the, the, like leave the, leave the room. They just care about the body and I think the they see us as, 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 as a puzzle to be solved. Right. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, no, going back, back to the curb thing I was just talking about, like I was reading about the curbs in America because you're in Australia. So like, well, even like in my, in my hometown, I can't confidently go out and, and go down the gutters because there are some that are nice and smooth but they're, but they're very rare. There's, there's most of them have like a little, have a gap or have a, a kind of a ridge. Um, and if my wheelchair gets stuck on that ridge, I could have, like it could tip or it could get stuck and, you know, who knows what could happen. So I find that really hard to deal with. So it would be fascinating to see. Uh, it sounds like it, they've actually got good gradients in America. They've got good legislations yep. saying what the gradients are supposed to be. And then mm-hmm. there's a good process for people to complain uh, when, or at least litigate, not necessarily complain, but that's mm-hmm. a different story yeah. uh, when, uh, when it's done poorly. Right. So uh, there've been a lot of what we call consent decrees, which is a fancy term that means legal agreements that are made to avoid lawsuits um, when the when the Department of Justice is involved, and it's the Department of Inju- uh, Department of Justice that enforces the Americans with Disabilities Act, where you know cities and counties have agreed to make certain modifications to the streets, or they've said, okay, well we'll add curb cuts to the right specification as as we build out or as we rip up streets and and replace them, mm. and even then it doesn't always happen. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just you have to stay on top of whatever agency it is that's supposed to be responsible for getting uh, the work done because Mm -hmm. just because it's supposed to be done and just because it's required by law doesn't mean that it happens. That's one of the fall, the the bad sides of the ADA is there's no commissioner's office. There's no place to just say, Hey, look, I don't want to sue anybody. I just want to file this complaint and I want it fixed. Right. Mm -hmm. You actually have to find a lawyer uh, and and file a lawsuit uh, for the most part right. uh, yeah. in the U.S. Unless you're, you know, the the federal government accepts maybe one in, in every 500 cases. You know, you can file a complaint with the government, but more often than not, you just get an automatic reply saying, uh, "Thanks for your complaint. We, you know, we don't have the bandwidth to help you right now." Okay. Um, and then that forces us into this uh, litigation cycle because asking nicely rarely results in things being made accessible okay yeah yeah 
I guess now. So I'm, I'm so I'm done asking nicely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see why. And I guess that, like, going back to talking about Stella Young, um, when her comment about her disability disappearing when she went to America, I think that probably that that explains why, because you know the, everyone fighting for for uh, accessibility in America, uh, whereas we're we're, we're not. Look, we've we've we do have a hell of a lot of uh, activists and a lot a lot of great um, advocates in Australia, but I don't know whether or not that push is as great as it is in America. Um, or I think there is a push, but it's the response that we get is not as great. I think as, the, as... the question is how public are the arguments? You know, if mm. you're hiding it behind the scenes in some private commissioner hearing. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, that doesn't really make the news. And if the person with the disability wins, you know, does that make the front page? You know, a couple mm-hmm. of weeks ago, we had a situation in Wisconsin where Walmart, I don't remember what the amount of the judgment was, but I think it was over $40 million. They fired somebody with Down syndrome, uh, you know, basically because she had Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the, the court's you know, handed their, handed them their rear ends on a platter and said, look, you can't do this. And because you can't do this, and we want to send the message to everybody, you can't do this. We're going to slap this enormous financial judgment against you. Mm. That makes the news. The, the, the hearings are public. The, the litigation is public. People can go at any time and look at all the filings and see um, what both sides of the, ju- you know, what both attorney sides are saying. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the cases where you get a very, very large financial judgment, uh, that's, that's made quite public as well. And yeah, it might get reduced or overturned on appeal, but nobody's going to forget that there was a $40 million judgment against uh walmart for firing somebody with down syndrome wow wow yeah and walmart's our big it's one of our largest department stores in the u.s for Mm. those of you who aren't familiar with uh with the u.s store names yeah no um yeah well very um very familiar with walmart um and i know like years ago do you have costco in america we do yeah, so that Costco just like came out in Australia a few. I don't, don't remember how many years ago, but uh, yeah, it's um. I've, I've actually never been there myself, but it seems like it, it was. It's very popular for going and getting like you know a huge, a great big batch boxes of, of toilet paper. And yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know if they have it in the in Australia Costco, but in the U.S. Costco, they're famous for their barbecue chicken. They have really good barbecue chicken, really cheap. It's it, it's a lost leader. I think they sell it for less than the chicken costs just to get people to come in the store and then they go, oh, I want that book or I want that jacket or, you know, I forgot I need toilet paper. <laughs> and then we end up buying, you know, $200 worth of things instead of just the chicken. Yeah. Wow. Hey, what about the toilet paper in America? Have, have you guys had that um, sort of panic buying of all the toilet paper? Oh, afraid so. Yes. <laughs> Um, that, that we've, we've had that twice now. And, um, I, I live at, uh, the top, at the top of, uh, the mountain that makes Silicon Valley a valley. So we're not actually on city sewage. We're on septic. 
Right. And there's there's only very particular toilet paper that you can use in a septic system. And I ended up having to order it off of Amazon because the stores, all the shelves have been cleared. Wow. It's it's such an interesting, I, uh, I find it fascinating to see on the headlines, the things that people go out and panic buy. Like that to me is really interesting. Like there's certain things and you're like, why would you have that when, like when you're in a lockdown? Um, like uh, people go nuts on flour, um, toilet paper, um, yeah, certain certain staples in, in the kitchen. But, Pasta probably yes. because it lasts a long time, but but flour because well, you know, you don't want to go without bread, but you also don't want to be going to the store twice a week during the pandemic to get yeah. bread either. So yeah, um, that's true. I, that, that, to, to me, the flour and the pasta kind of sort of makes sense. The toilet paper doesn't. <laughs> no, no. Like I've when 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 COVID first hit and people were doing the the panic buying with the toilet paper, I'm like, but you don't have diarrhea when you have with COVID. So yeah, no, it was very, very interesting. It, it, it's, well, I like how it sort of shows different. Well, yeah, it shows hu- different human behavior. When, when things like this happen, it's just, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Um, so t- talking about like the experiences with COVID, as a person with a disability, have there been things that you like about COVID? Like, I would like, like, I mean, not COVID, but like about the experience that we've all been going through? Sure. So the one, the one thing that's been good is before the pandemic, you know, large companies frequently said, you know, oh no, we can't do work from home. (laughs) That's a, that's a burden. So I had a company uh, that I worked for previously about uh, six, seven years ago, uh, who told me that I couldn't work from home a second day. I had a let me do the math here. Almost a 100 kilometer, uh, it was 200 kilometers round trip from Mm -hmm. my house to the job. Mm -hmm. So I was driving, you know, 200 kilometers a day in my car with hand controls, uh, Mm -hmm. because I I do drive with hand controls. Um, And it was wearing me out. And so I said, Look, can I have a second work? You know, I they gave me one day, can I have a second work from home day? Oh, no, no, we can't do that. That's that's not fair to our other employees. And you know, that that's too hard for us. You know, pandemic comes, they put 80,000 people on work from home in one day. Okay, so explain to me again why it was an undue burden for the woman in the wheelchair to ask for one day a week when, you know, not even a handful of years later, you're able to put 80,000 people on work from home. So yeah, that we're never going back to that in the US. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, companies are going to have to go a long, long way to convince and an EEOC officer, hearing officer, or a court uh, that allowing somebody to work from home is an undue burden mm. um, for most standard types of office jobs anyways. You know, yeah, if you're a delivery person, you can't work from home. I get that, right? Yeah. If you're a surgeon, you can't work from home. There are essential components of your job that were required to you to be outside your house, you know, at a specific place for specific times. But for the average run-of-the-mill you know, project manager, web designer, programmer, none of that is the case mm. and, and should never be allowed to happen again. So I'm definitely happy uh, uh, about that turn of events. Mm. Without the pandemic, I think it would have taken us a lot longer to get there. Yes, absolutely. And that, and that's, that was the same for me, because you know, I remember with my job, um, 
yeah, so with my previous job, uh, there was a couple of, um, I'd say two years pretty much where um, I'd had time off because of um, because of a, a pressure sore. And so I was in hospital and home in bed, you know, back and forth. And even though I physically couldn't be there, my, my brain was not a problem. So I could have worked. Uh, and I remember asking, is it, you know, can, can I do stuff from home? And it was, yeah, it was, it was the same thing. It was like, no, nope, sorry, privacy, blah, 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 not possible. Uh, and then, yeah, uh, everyone who works at the company that I worked for and they are doing remote working. So it's yep. like, well, hang on. Gee, it turns out it wasn't as hard as you thought it was. Exactly. And it's just like, so the I only, look at that. The only think, difference wow. is before it was the people with disabilities who was asking, and now it's everybody who's asking. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, that's interesting you say, so you don't think it's going to go back to, um, yeah, go back to working in the office. Because in Australia, um, yeah, without, because that, we've just come out of our fifth lockdown, in, in my state, um, they've actually state, uh, said that to try and avoid go going into future lockdowns, um, they've instituted a whole bunch of rules. And one of the rules is that I can't remember what it is, but there is a certain cap on capacity of people in the office. So I think now- Yeah, we we've done something similar. So yeah. our capacity got lifted, although I think it may go back, um, but- you know, I'm in a building that pre-pandemic probably had 250 people in that building mm -hmm. on any given day. And yeah. I don't think I've seen more than 30 people here. Yeah, uh, yeah. They, they, so we have our campus holds about 2,500. And mm -hmm. I think they said fewer than 100 came back the first day. Right. Yeah. So I've been, um, it's interesting because I've been doing, like, obviously I, I work from home. Uh, I've got my own business. And so I've been pretty much doing the whole lockdown thing since March last year. Uh, I don't, I haven't been in, uh, the only time I've been in a large group of people was at a funeral and that was about 50 people or 20 people. I can't remember, but that's been my maximum so far um, since, since March last year. So that. I don't think yeah. I've, even been more than I don't I want to say the largest group of people I've probably been with is maybe 15 right. uh, yeah. just you know e even if I'm going out into public I'm very careful you know to always have my mask on mm -hmm. and to not be uh, in large groups of people that I don't know like I might be with my family but that's mm -hmm. okay because uh, you know that that's my family mm -hmm. you know largely we all live together anyways um, but yeah, I haven't been to a wedding. Um, all my funerals have been Zoom funerals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, contactless grocery pickups. So, you know, I order my groceries and then I drive to the parking lot and they throw them in my back seat and I leave. Right, yeah. For me, I, I've, I have to say I love the delivery. Um, there's, been, there's been more since the pandemic on our Uber Eats. We've got more options. And to yep. me, that that's that's been a real good, uh, real positive for me. Um, yeah, I, I probably live in the Silicon Valley equivalent of Alice Springs. Nobody delivers to where I live. Oh, okay, right. <laughs> I'm quite quite far off the beaten path. 
so yeah. uh, the last couple of miles up to my house is a gravel road um, and it's it's one lane and it takes 20 minutes to even get to a real road so yeah. no no delivery to where I am unfortunately oh, but see, which is one of, which is one of the reasons why I went through all the effort and expense of getting licensed to drive with hand controls mm -hmm. uh, so that I can you know pop down the hill you know go to the go to the store, have them throw the stuff in the back and then, and then go back home. But even then it's an hour and a half round trip. Right. I, I get from, you know, TV and all that kind of stuff. For me, I imagine Silicon Valley being a very, very busy place. It is for the most part, but not in the particular area. That's in the valley itself. And yeah. I live at the top of the mountain. So it's, it's quite rural uh, where right. I am. Right. Right. Well, yeah. Um, yeah, thinking in Google, all that kind of stuff, they're in Silicon Valley, aren't they? They are, but the, that's, uh, you know, largely Mountain View and Sunnyvale, which is okay. entirely in the valley. So Sunnyvale is actually where I grew up. So okay. my, my parents still live in the house. It's about uh, a kilometer away from the new Apple headquarters. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wow. wow. And I went to the same high school that Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs went to. Oh, wow. Cool. Oh, that's awesome. So I guess um, something that I asked on my first season of the podcast, and because I didn't get to have you on the first season, I'd love to ask you, uh, if you can rattle them off, what are 10 things that you'd like people to know about disability? Um, what are 10 things? Uh, no, no one disability is the same. So, uh, you know, my daughter with hearing loss can have an identical diagnosis and an entire and an identical audiogram to somebody else, uh, and they could have completely different compensatory mechanisms. Mm -hmm. um, we can do just as good of a job as anybody else. In fact, sometimes better. Um, but we have to have whatever accommodations we we need. Like if I couldn't get a hand, a car that I could drive with hand controls, you know that's an accommodation to me. Uh, mm -hmm. If I if I couldn't get that, you know that that would be an issue. Um, I mentioned one already. If you get one disability, you're more likely to get a whole bunch more. Uh, so I've been diagnosed with now four uh, different autoimmune uh, conditions, you know, started with the, the juvenile diabetes. And then, you know, you, my husband says you collect them like Pokemon. <laughs> <I'm first. laughs> um, uh, oh, 10, huh? Only if you can think of 10. Um, you know, just, just that thinking about disability, you know, how people with disability need things done or accessibility up front is mm -hmm. always better, faster, and cheaper than trying to jam it in at the end. Um, it is not complicated to make things accessible. There's, there's 50 rules. You follow the 50 rules. You don't, and, and the rules don't even reference disabilities. So the rules talk about motion, for example. They don't talk about migraines and epilepsy and, you know, and all the different things that motion is a problem for. They just talk about, okay, this is acceptable motion. This is unacceptable motion. Don't do the unacceptable motion, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so you don't even have to become a PhD in, in disability studies to, to, uh, to understand how to follow the rules. Mm -hmm. In about 20 hours, you can learn enough uh, to get started as a programmer and if you spend a good 60 to 80 hours on it you probably know enough to to even perhaps get certified 
-hmm. so it, it's not something that you have to major in in college. In fact, there isn't even really uh, a technology disability uh, major available yet, at least not in the United States. Mm -hmm. um, you know, disability at work does not have to be expensive. So 50% of accommodations cost less than you know, $250 American. Uh, a lot of times it's just process changes or schedule changes or agreeing with somebody who works for you who's deaf. Okay, I promise after every conversation, I'll send you an email with the instructions that I just gave you so that you've got that written record uh, to go back to to make sure that you're not confused. You know, none of that costs a dime, but it'll allow you to employ somebody uh, with a disability. Mm. So those, those uh, are definitely the, the ones that are top of mind. Uh, another one is uh, only 30% uh, of disabilities are visible. You see your wheelchair, you see my insulin pump, you see my daughter's hearing aids. You can tell we have a disability, but 70% of disabilities can't be seen. Mm. So that's the people who are colorblind, the people who are dyslexic, uh, the people with autism, attention deficit disorder. I mean, yeah, sometimes if you spend enough time with a person, you can pick up clues from behavior. But for the most part, just looking at the individual, you can't tell that they have a disability. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that, that the 50 point thing that you were talking about earlier. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd love it if you could send me the link to that so I can sure. uh, pop it in the comments of the podcast because yeah, there's a, a, I keep seeing things and I'm like, I've got to learn. The, the thing I find frustrating is that I, I see things and I know that I need to do them, um, but they're not ingrained in my head enough that I repeatedly just do them. I, I keep forgetting to do them. Uh, and and it, then it frustrates me because I'm discriminating against people and I honestly don't mean to be doing that, but it's just... Yeah, I guess it's um, not part of, um, I guess, the common, common practice, but that, that's what we need to do. We need to make, we need to make it just, just a, a, an action that we always do. So I just put the link in the chat window. Uh, it's put out the standard, which, and it's an international standard, by the way. So it's used, ah, yes. it's, it's, it's the basis of the, um, the UK standard. It's the basis of the EU standard, the US standard. Mm -hmm. um, it's called WCAG, Web Content Accessibility Guidelines mm -hmm. 2.1 is the version number. And then the middle level is the level that most people recommend, which is called level double A. So there's A, double A and triple A, low, right. medium, high. Um, and there's a couple of really good consultancies in um, Australia that do this type of work. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, one of the first people I met when I decided I wanted to make a career out of accessibility was Gian Wild at Accessibility Oz. Okay. And there's another uh, consultancy uh, called Intopia uh, in Australia. Uh, that's uh, and both of those organizations are are quite well thought of. So if people want to take classes, there's also online classes available. Uh, most of them are based in the U.S., but um, those those are good organizations to go to if you want to ask questions. Um, you know, is my website accessible enough? Yeah. Yeah, excellent. Well, great. I'll pop that in the comments so everyone ah, can read so, let, so that triggers the comment to, to for one more thing on yep. my, my top 10 list because I didn't quite get to 10. Yep. There's this whole category of things called accessibility overlays. 
And uh, there, there are these companies that have decided, oh, you know, just put in our single line of code into your uh, product. And when somebody tries to use your product, we'll offer them some accessibility things and, you know, then we'll go do it for them. And what happens is that takes the assistive technology out of the hands of the user. Like I know how I want my magnification to work. I know how I want my keyboard usage to work. I don't want some other tool telling me how it is I'm supposed to be doing my work. So the overlays are a terrible approach to accessibility. I never, ever recommend them. Uh, they, They have some slick marketing and they've gotten some, uh, funding, so they've been buying like primetime ads on American television and things like that. Still don't recommend them, don't care how much money they have, they're not a good solution, right? Okay, yep, that's awesome. Well, it's been awesome ch- chatting to you, Sherry. Um, I'm wanting to know uh, where can people find you and read it, um, follow all your content online. Sure. So I don't have enough time with my day job to do all of the social media properly. I mostly hang out on LinkedIn. I don't, I don't do Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you just look up my last name, uh, which is B-Y-R-N-E hyphen H-A-B-E-R on LinkedIn, I promise you I'm only the, the only burn haver on there unless my 20 year old has uh, gotten on there and finally signed up for an account uh so uh, that's uh and i've got my own website at sherryburnhaber.com and i've also got uh, a fairly extensive medium blog uh again just search for that last name on medium and that should uh, point you in the right direction yeah i recommend that one because you've got some great well, yeah you've got great articles on there and i love the way you explain things um, I'm never that good at explaining things and you just really hit the nail on the head with them. So I, I love reading them. Yeah. Oh, thank you. No, that's all right. Thank you. Um, so yeah, look, thank you very much for being on today. It's been a really, really great chat. And I just love getting the perspective from overseas, um, you know, to, to compare experiences of yeah, the whole disability thing, the whole COVID. And it's, yeah, it's just been fasc- fascinating um so yeah awesome thank you so much and um if anybody has any questions um that they'd like to ask sherry or um would like to see on future um questions that you'd like answered on a future podcast um just please drop them on the comments and thank you very much